Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There you go. Anybody disrupted and disturbed there? I'm like, I was looking through which, which, who got to preach which parables. I'm like, thanks, Adam. (laughs) It's good to be with you here again. Good to be in this series. Love that Jesus, he's such a great storyteller. And it's the stories that stick in our heart, like a, a, hearing the stories of Jesus is a bit like wandering through the woods, and then there are the little prickly, you know, the burrs, right, that get stuck to you, and you walk with a little bit of the wood on you, and uh, I think his stories are a bit like that for us. We're in the middle of the cost of living crisis. Everybody agree? Nod? Yes? <laughs> Here we go. The Bank of England is predicting that the inflation rate is going to hit 13% this year. It's also predicting that the country is going to enter a recession later this year. Household energy prices rose 54% in April and are expected to increase substantially in October. Fuel prices hit a whopping two pounds um, this summer. Trying to go fill up your car, you're just like, oh my goodness, maybe I'll walk next time. <laughs> I'm flying to Canada Monday next to see my daughter. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Uh, for my annual leave and my plane tickets cost almost three times what it did at Christmas. <laughs> We're in a time of growing anxiety, though, around this increase in the cost of living. The Trussell Trust has seen a staggering increase in the number of food parcels delivered over the last five years. Food banks in this food charity network provided more than 1.2 million emergency food parcels between the 1st of April 2021 and the 31st of March 2022. And of those, 832,000 were for children. And this represents an 81% increase compared to the same uh, scope of time five years ago. And they said that, that people referred to the food banks in this charity's network have on average 57 pounds a week to live on after they've paid for housing. It's 57 pounds a week for clothing, for food, for transportation, for dental, whatever. The figure probably feels a little bit staggering and far away for many of us, but Jesus' hearers, the one who was listening to, the ones who were listening to this parable, 
probably that was a lot closer to their lived experience as well. Back in the time of Jesus, people, if they were wealthy, had, had a second pair of clothing, a set of clothing, right? That for them was somebody who was making it all right. And they were all just living hand to mouth, except for the, the, the religious and, and the, the elite, where one disaster, one family breadwinner becoming sick could mean destitution. And so the people who are listening to Jesus' parables, if they knew about airplanes, <laughs> and if they knew that I actually got two airplane tickets to fly to the other side of the world, I would have been incomprehensibly rich compared to all of them. And I love how Jesus wants to bring to bear the kingdom of God and the good news of the kingdom of God into the values and into the priorities and into the anxieties of the world that he lived in into the world that we live in. So at first glance, the man in this story seems somewhat sensible. He's got an abundant harvest. He's got lots, lots left over after he pays the bills. He decides to just increase his capacity for storage. Got a pay raise. I think I'll pop it away in a good portfolio. Maybe I'll put some more money away for my retirement, give me more security for my future. I could just take things easy for a while. Maybe I'll go down to Ibiza and have a little party. <laughs> Jesus, he's not lifting up this man as a model for financial prudence. In fact, this parable is often entitled the rich fool. Ouch. <laughs> Jesus' challenge to us, and it's a deep, deep challenge, is for us to be on our guard against all kinds of greed and materialism, individualistic way of looking at our resource and his invitation to us is to become rich towards God. And when you think about it, Jesus's word to the first century disciples, it's a radical statement in the 21st century. He says, our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. This runs contrary to our middle-class, comfortable, Western-thinking ideas and values. Rich people are seen to be more successful, sometimes more important than those who are not. It's rich people, successful people, people who... Um, Get, they get invited onto boards to be trustees and, and uh, they're, they're invited into, to, to bring their money and their status. They're, they presume that they've got more wisdom. Seated in these places of power, rich people are more believable in the court than the poor. That's what our culture teaches us anyways. And success in our culture is calibrated largely in terms of quantity, Quantity on my bank book, quantity of cars, quantity of the square footage of my house. How many degrees do I have? How many books have I written? How much have I been published? Our culture, the spirit of this age, we're looking for more. We want more. We want to show that we have more. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. The Greek word used for greed is, I can never pronounce these, pleonexia. <laughs> and it means greediness insatiableness, avarice, and covetousness, literally a desire to have more. And greed takes all kinds of shapes and sizes. Jesus says to be on the alert for all kinds of greed. We need to be alert because it sneaks up on us and it's easy to hide. 
So how do I know if I've fallen prey that that greed has kind of snuck up on me and is beginning to inhabit my thinking and my mind and how I make my decisions? I, uh, I'm not speaking as one who is really good at all of this. I think the thing I love about preaching is that I'm, I mostly just have to preach to myself. <laughs> I'm like, okay, self, listen to the word of the Lord and hopefully your life and will be changed in your heart. And the one I struggle with, my, my avarice, my longing desire for more is books. Anybody love books? All right, there's this, there's a, I think there's a slide up there that's got like the button of ultimate danger for me. Can we, there we go. <laughs> this is a terrible button. This is a terrible button. Buy now with one click, and I know it's to Amazon. I apologize. I'll repent later. But, you know, it, <laughs> I went to a leadership <laughs> retreat two weeks ago. Great speaker, wonderful speaker. I learned all kinds of new things. And I sat there the whole retreat with my phone open. Shouldn't have had my phone open in a retreat. Anyway, phone open and I had that button. And I'm like, oh, that he would mention a book. And I'd be like, click, you know, there's another book. Click, click. I don't even want to know how much I spent on books during that retreat. (laughs) I fall prey to greed. I don't want to miss it. I want more. And you know what? It can be hidden because there are these things um, called Kindle apps. <laughs> so, so you don't go into my house and go, oh, look at the big library you have. I can hide them all in here. Nobody can know how many books I have. It's, I was on a journey when I was in Canada moving to the UK. I, I, you know, we whittled down our possessions to six suitcases. How's that? That's pretty impressive, eh? Six suitcases. I had a, my old pastor used to, um, he was a YWAMer, and his thinking was that your life should be able to fit into seven banana boxes. So Canadian banana boxes are like this by this. So I was really proud. I got six suitcases. So good. And uh, except for the books. <laughs> and so it was a quandary. I'm like, God, this is not going to fit into my six suitcases. What am I going to do with my books? And the Lord said, whose books? I was like, oh, darn it. So my house of prayer back at home has got a nice big library now. <laughs> but even here, and, and this continues to be a challenge for me. So I'm, I'm speaking out of the struggle. So I came here and began to accumulate more books. And sure enough, last week, the Lord was like, so Jill, <laughs> I heard about a need. There was Waverly Abbey College actually needed to increase its library of prayer and spiritual formation books. And the Lord was like, yeah, so Jill, (laughs) those books on your shelf, whose books are they? I was like, oh, you thought I would have learned it the first time, but I don't. So I have to go over it again and again. Greed is easily hidden and it sneaks up on you. So how can I know? How can I tell if I'm struggling with greed? I think three things. Number one, am I content with what I have? Am I content with what I have? Do I feel, number two, like I always need more. There's one more book or there's one more, I don't know, iPhone or there's one more pair of trainers. I always need the next thing. And number three is the pursuit of those things consuming me. Do I spend my time off looking, oh, the iPhone 11, 12, I don't even know what it is. Look at the camera on that one. That's a great camera on that one. I think I need to get that one because, do you know what I mean? Like we spend time, as a child I did this. (laughs) We um, We have a shop in Canada called Canadian Tire. And we don't have Canadian Tire here in the UK. 
I don't understand. But anyway, <laughs> and my brother and I, this is what we did. Every, we would get a catalog. Remember catalogs? Like paper catalogs that would come to your house? So my brother and I were super excited when the fall Christmas catalog came because we would open it to the toy section. We would take a Sharpie marker and we would circle all the ones that we wanted and then we would leave it somewhere obvious for our parents to see. <laughs> we had a system. And I would pour over and contemplate all the best toys that I wanted to get. The pursuit of those things consumed me. Struggled with greed. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he just nails it. He says, whoever loves money has never enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then he says, this too is meaningless. So what's the opposite of greed? I think biblically, the opposite of greed, one, one opposite would be contentment. And I love this, Paul, in Philippians He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's talking about giving. He says, I'm not saying it because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living um, in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I find this passage helpful because Paul is is talking about, um, he helps us. Because I think when we talk about money, when we talk about, you know, um, where I don't want to go and what I don't want you to walk away from is thinking money is bad, right? Acquiring money is bad. That's not what what I'm saying. And I think in Paul, he clarifies this. it's, it's (laughs) It's the contentment with what you have. It's letting go of the love of money. It's taking money off of the throne where your bank, your bank balance tells you what it can do every given day. Does that make sense? So it's not money. I'm not saying money is evil. God's given us all things richly to enjoy, but it's, it's the love of money. It's when, it's when your money owns you rather than you own your money. It's our idolatrous attachment. And for me, here it is. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. The three C's, I call it. I am attached to my own comfort. like to be comfy. (laughs) I'm attached to my own convenience. Okay, it costs a little bit more to get an Uber than to walk there. It's convenient. And I'm attached to my own consumerism. Having possessions isn't wrong but it's putting my security in them that is wrong. Jesus is teaching us. The rich man, he's not condemned for being rich. He's condemned for being self-centered and for not using his surplus to help others and ultimately for leaving God out of his life. And Jesus, in the parable, he ties greed to this individualistic mindset. I love this. I don't know if you notice in the passage, this guy's talking to himself. Do any of you ever talk to yourself? At home by yourself. Like, Jill, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling really well. Thank you very much. <laughs> but he talks to himself. He, he, he calls himself my friend. He, he's his own invisible friend. And he highlights how self-centered he is. And uh, he said, well, you know, it's self. I've got extra. I might as well just put my feet up, eat, drink, and be merry. He's the center of his own universe. And he's not adding anybody else 
into his equation. I, um, I have two rings that I wear that, that I find really helpful <laughs> plumb lines in my life. The first is my, my wedding ring. Reminds me of covenant vows that I made to God years ago. Um, love my husband. I, I wear another ring, and, and this one's got just a terrible thing inscribed on it. Just reminds me. It says, no one lives for themselves. What a horrible thing to wear. <laughs> where it becomes this plumb line for, for me when decisions come, when I think about, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Should I do this? Should I go there? I look at my ring and I go, oh, here's the plumb line. I don't live for myself. I don't live for myself. I live for God. I live for the people that God has put me in community with. I'm not the center of my own little universe. I don't live for myself. I live in a universe where God is on his throne and we are invited, here's the invitation bit, to become rich towards God. I want us to consider, we're just going to look at Matthew 6, 19 and to 21, verse 24. Let's look at what Jesus says being rich to God looks like. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermins do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I need to be reminded, we all need to be reminded that these things that we own, that we surround ourselves with, they're passing away. We're not taking it with us, are we? I had my pastor back in, um, in Canada years ago. It was, it was tragic, but his response to it was amazing. He and his family went away on their summer vacation. And they lived in a remote area. There were no neighbors particularly close. When they came back, they discovered that their house had burned to the ground. Everything was gone. Every family photo, every little bit of artwork that their kids did when they were little, it was all gone. These things, they pass away. And his response was just so beautiful because he just leaned into the God who gives us treasures, who surrounds us with beautiful community and eternal things that will go with us into his presence forever. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 9 to 11, command those who are rich in this present world. So I'm speaking to myself because I have enough money to buy plane tickets to go to Canada, right? This is me. Command to those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Treasure, firm foundation, and life that is truly life. This is Jesus' invitation to me 
and to us. Right? So what do we do? What's our response? I want to suggest two things. Number one, before I press the button, remember the button? <laughs> you know, before you press the button, before you wave your, you know, your Apple phone on the, the cash card reader, maybe pause for a moment and just say, do I want, do I need this or do I just want it? Do I need it or I just, do I just want it? And then number two, I think, I love this one. I've I preached on this before, but I just love it. Uh, I think the scripture's up here. Yes, 2 Corinthians 9, 9 to 11. As, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So he's talking about generosity. It's talking about expanding the circle of your intent and longing to care for the people around you. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love this. Bread for eating, seed for sowing. So here's the exercise. When money comes your way, maybe it's a raise. Maybe it's your tax return, whatever. If unexpected money comes your way, or maybe even your regular paycheck, is it bread, Lord, or is it seed? Is it for me to eat, or is it for me to sow into the poor and into the kingdom of God? So there you go. Number one, pause. Do I want it? Do I need it? Number two, bread or seed. And just to wind it up, I'm really challenged by the life and the witness of the revivalist John Wesley. He had this event occurred that really transformed his relationship with money. He, uh, he was at Oxford, and he, he'd kind of done his room up a little bit. He had a couple of pictures on the wall. It was looking nice, a little home deco. And he realized that the woman coming to serve him, the servant in this space, had this very, very thin garment and was shivering in the cold. And so he wanted to help her, and he reached into his pocket so that he could buy her a coat, and he didn't have enough money. And he looked up at the pictures on his wall. Here's how he recounts it. He asked himself, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. Oh, justice. Oh, mercy. Are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? <laughs> he was just so convicted. And so from that day, 1731, he determined to maintain his standard of living at the same level and to give away everything that went above that threshold. At that time, the earnings, he had earnings of 30 pounds and living expenses of 28 pounds. So he gave away two pounds. And then when his earning increased to 60 pounds, he gave away, who's good at maths? 32 pounds. As they increased to 120 pounds, he continued to live on 28, and he gave away 92 pounds. And he became known for this saying, what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but his standard of giving. He continued this practice his entire life. Even when his income reached a whopping 1,400 pounds, Ah, inflation, hey? <laughs> but in his day, that was a lot of money. He lived on 30 pounds. 
and he gave the rest away. <laughs> there you go, the children are rejoicing. <laughs> he reports that he never had more than 100 pounds in the bank at any one point in time. It's such a breathtakingly challenging story, an example for someone who chose to guard his heart against all kinds of greed, someone who chose in his lifestyle to become rich towards God. And I just want to tell you how it feels from the other side. I uh, will finish with this. I'll really finish with this. I was, a, I, I was a prayer missionary in Canada for 17 or so years before I came here. And we were faith-based missionaries. We were raising our own support for a house of prayer. And people were like, what, you want me to pay you to pray? Like nobody got it, right? We were totally broke for many, 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 many years. And at the, certainly at the beginning, as people didn't understand what we were doing, and I was terrible at fundraising. But, um, and so I had this one day where we didn't have a lot of food, and, and I knew I had to make a choice. Either my, I had to take lunch to work, or my daughter had to take lunch to school. Well, that was an easy choice, right? I'm like, well, it's a ministry of prayer and fasting, so I'll just fast today. That's okay. I can do that. I'll send Hannah off with the lunch. And so I, I went off to work. I thought, okay, well, I'm hungry, but I'll live. And uh, I went into my cubicle at work, and somebody had left a bag of muffins on my desk. A bag of muffins on my desk. I did this little, this little jig. I was so excited doing a dance in my office. I'm like, the ravens, the ravens, they left me muffins. <laughs> so lunch never tasted so good. And it was fun to share it too. Somebody, some muffin maker somewhere <laughs> decided that they had more muffins than they needed. And they decided not to bank those muffins or put them in the freezer for the next time they got hungry. They thought of somebody they knew who might need muffins. And they left them on my desk. I have to tell you the joy that I had in that moment and the praise to God that went up for his generous provision to me when I was at my poorest. Because somebody was guarding their heart against all kinds of greed and choosing to be rich towards God. It's a beautiful invitation. It's challenging. Jesus is so challenging, isn't he? I'm like, really? That's a hard saying, Jesus. But we've got this invitation into a financial system, not of buying and selling, but giving and receiving. We're invited into a family of faith together where we're looking out for one another, watching to see, you know, Acts is so clear. They said they had nobody in need among them. There's this invitation to give ourselves away, this invitation for us not to live for ourselves, but for others. It's a beautiful invitation. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? It's the words of that worship song that got me. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Jesus, forgive us when we have given our hearts away to another
forgive us for the times that we have been, well, forgive me, you guys, maybe you're all all right, I'll just repent for myself. Jesus, forgive me for the times I am selfish, self-seeking. Forgive me, Jesus, for the times that I live with a self-referential way of being the center of my own little universe and then allocate my resources accordingly. Forgive me. Jesus, we want you. We want to enter into your kingdom, this kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. This kingdom where we do not live for ourselves, but for you and for one another. Where we are content and where we are generous. Lord, would you deliver us from any bondage in our minds and hearts and our pocketbooks. May we be free to walk with Hilarious generosity, trusting, Jesus, that you indeed alone are our treasure, our financial security, our everlasting reward. We give ourselves to you again today. Amen.